Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you did, I invite you to turn with me to John 11, where you will find the text printed in your bulletin, John 11, 17 through 27. Today we're continuing our study entitled, Who is Jesus? Looking at the seven I am statements found in John's gospel. And remember, our whole idea is trying to remember that we have such a great Savior. I want to stand in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Before I read this passage, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and his help. Gracious God, you've told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit, and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this, your holy word. Father, by your spirit, would your people hear a better sermon than the one they're about to hear, for you are faithful. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, John 11, starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. A number of years ago, a speedboat driver survived a racing accident. He said that he had been near top speeds when he took two sharp of a turn, his boat veered slightly and hit a wave at a dangerous angle. The combined force of his high speed with the angle of the wave, the way which he hit it, sent the boat just flying through the air, spinning out of control, and it threw him out of the boat and flying down into the water. He ended up going so deep in the water that he lost all sense of direction no idea which way was up, which way was down, and he panicked. And then he remembered, take a deep breath, relatively speaking, you know you're underwater, but calm. And his life vest proceeded to start pulling him up, and then he began swimming fast to the top of the water so that he actually could breathe. You know, when... The trials of life come, and they come in a broken, fallen, and sinful world. We, like the speedboat driver, tend to really struggle with knowing which way is up and which way is down. We can't make sense out of anything in life. I 
a loved one dies, the diagnosis is cancer, you lose your job, your spouse leaves, you name it. And as a church, we've been through multiple tragedies and trials. We don't know which way is up and which way is down. We need comfort. We need hope. We need a steadying work. And thankfully, the Lord provides us that with the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what John 11 is all about. Here in this chapter, it's the account of Jesus' good friend Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. These are the same two women we read about in Luke chapter 10, where Martha was distracted with much serving, but Mary sat at the feet of Jesus learning from him. And it's to a grieving sister that we find the words of the fifth I am statement of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And what seems simple on the surface is actually rather complex. Yet it's complex in the most beautiful way. As it offers us comfort no matter what challenges we face. Jesus offers us resurrection life. But before we can understand this resurrection life, we first must grapple with death. And that's exactly what we find Martha doing in our text. John 11 verse 1 tells us that Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is very sick. And if you have your Bible open, look with me starting at verse 3. It says, So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now scholars debate, where exactly is Jesus when he gets this message about Lazarus? Some say that he's about three days' journey from Bethany. Others say he's about a one day's journey. And really, it, it doesn't matter because the story works out either way, as it always does with Jesus. We find in verse 17 that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. I think it's best understood that Jesus is about a day's journey away. So Lazarus is sick, they send a messenger to Jesus, day one. He stays two days longer, days two and three, and then he comes to Bethany, day four. He's been in the tomb four days. Yet no matter what, Jesus stays an extra two days where he is. And it's possible to read that and come to the conclusion that Jesus waited so that Lazarus would die. And we might think, what a sick and twisted God to just stay where you are so that he would die. But I don't think that's the case. In The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien, there's a scene where Bilbo was about to throw a huge party for his 111th birthday. And I know this is in the movie. I can't remember if it's in the book or not. But the wizard Gandalf arrives and Bo, uh, Bilbo pops out and says, you're late. And Gandalf replies in his jovial voice, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. And so it is with Jesus. He arrives exactly when he means to, here in this text and in all of life. 
Remember verse 17, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Why does Jesus, or why does John tell us this detail? He's emphasizing the point that Lazarus is really dead. Remember, this is before modern technologies. There's no uh, ways to, to tell exactly about whether somebody's alive or dead. And so the temptation might be thinking, well, you know, he's not really dead. He just kind of is in a comatose state. But four days? No, this is different. Also, Jews at that time believed that the soul would cover over the body for three days until decay started to set in, at which point the soul would depart. The Bible doesn't teach that, but it was the belief at that time. And so the point is, Lazarus is really dead. So Jesus stayed two more days where he was, not so that he would die, but rather to leave no doubt about the miracle that he was about to perform. It was for the spiritual benefit of all of his disciples who would witness the resurrection of Lazarus. And this reminds us that with Jesus, things aren't always as they appear to be. You might think God had some awful suffering that he allowed because he hates you, or he's some vindictive God, he's mad about something that you've done. He's done out of spite. But maybe, just maybe, he has a good purpose in your life for allowing tragedy to strike, sickness to occur. Can you and I dare to believe that? Martha hears that Jesus had come and goes out to meet him. She says in verse 20, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, some people take this as a rebuke. She's saying, Jesus, how dare you not come and save my brother's life? I don't think that's what she's doing. Rather, I think we see her raw emotion. Grief is just pouring out of her. Can you relate? Have you ever been in a situation where grief is just overflowing? I'm sure you can. And one takeaway from Martha here is a reminder that we can take our grief to Jesus. He cares. He listens. He knows, yes, but he knows that it's so good for us to unload on him, so to speak. So make sure that you do that. I think about Martha's words for a minute. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In one sense, she's showing faith in Jesus. Lord, you can do good. And she goes on to say, yeah, I know that whatever you ask God will give to you. But in another sense, She's unintentionally limiting Jesus. Did Jesus need to be physically present to heal Lazarus? Of course not. In John chapter 4, we read of an official coming and saying, Lord, my son's sick, do something. He says, go back home. Your son will get better. And he does, and he finds out the time that he got better was the exact same time that Jesus said, your son will be better. Jesus could have healed Lazarus from a distance, but Martha isn't thinking that way. You know, when we're rocked by trauma, we don't normally think very clearly, do we? That's why we need to make sure our belief is clear in the times that life is calm. You and I will suffer in this life. Jesus made that abundantly clear. Are you preparing to suffer well? Knowing Jesus in a deeper way and having a grasp of the sovereignty of God will help you when the storms of life come. 
keep you from being shaken or shaken as badly. Jesus then tells Martha that her brother will rise again, to which she responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She responds with a very theological answer, looking to the resurrection the last day. And she's not wrong. Jesus doesn't rebuke her and say, cut your theology out. Don't go there. No, just express emotion. Well, the problem isn't with her theology. She's right. It's tempting for us to think theology bad, emotion experience good, but that's not at all what we find in this text. The problem is that her theology is too abstract. It's too vague. Jesus wants her to realize that resurrection life comes from him and him alone. It's not this that Jesus gives resurrection and life. It's that he is the resurrection and the life. He's lovingly drawing her to himself as the only source of comfort in life and in death. Look with me again at verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Brothers and sisters, Jesus offers all who trust in him life. And not just any life, but resurrection life. And there's present and future implications of this resurrection life. It's like I told the kids about the candy now and later. You can have some now and then some later. And in an even greater way with Jesus, there's benefits now and later. You know, as logical humans, we like to go in chronological order, now and later. But Jesus flips it. He starts with the later and then the now, as if to say, the future impacts your present. And the rest of Scripture would confirm that. And so, first, there's resurrection life later. In other words, this life on earth is not all there is. Jesus says, even though we die we will live. In the story of Lazarus, Jesus raises him from the dead. Later on in John 11, verse 43, we read, and when he, that is Jesus, said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What happens? Dead man comes out, comes to life. Does this mean that every time someone dies that we love, or when we die, Jesus is going to bring them back to life after four days? No. So what does Jesus mean when he says, though he die, yet shall he live? He means that physical death will not have the final say. He means that for all who are united to Christ by faith, the spiritual death of eternal separation from God will not occur. Friends, death has been defeated. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. A bright young girl of 15 years old was suddenly cast upon a bed of suffering, completely paralyzed on one side of her body, and nearly blind. Laying there in the hospital bed, she heard the family doctor say to her parents, she has seen her best days, 
poor child. No, doctor, she exclaimed. My best days are yet to come when I shall see the king in his beauty. Friends, that's what we see in this passage. If your faith is in Christ, then you have the hope of resurrection life for all eternity. You and I will dwell with God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious hope we have. The hope of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth is not simply that we'll be reunited with loved ones, although that will be wonderful. It's not that we can play golf or run or whatever you think might be fun in heaven. No, the hope is that we'll be in the presence of God Almighty, worshiping Him without sin. Do you long for this resurrection life later? Are you anticipating your home going if your faith is in Christ? Whether you're five years old or 95 years old, you should be looking forward to heaven. This earth is not all there is. What awaits us is better by far. You know, some people make the claims that Christians are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that before? Is it true? It shouldn't be. In fact, I would argue that if we were more heavenly minded, we would be of even more earthly good. Why? Because Jesus tells us that we have resurrection life now and not just later. Remember verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This doesn't mean that only non-Christians actually die. No, it means rather that through faith in Jesus, we have life now. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first half of John 10. And in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says the door gives abundant life now. And Jesus says the resurrection and the life gives resurrection life now. You see the connection? Jesus is speaking more clearly in our passage. Resurrection life is what an abundant life really is. An abundant life isn't being a millionaire or retiring at 45 or having lots of kids or being successful or being a professional athlete or being able to fill out a perfect basketball bracket for the tournament. No, an abundant life is living the resurrection life that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And friends, this impacts our view of suffering. I mentioned earlier that we must prepare for suffering in times of relative ease. We must not believe the lie that we will never suffer, and that if God is loving, that he'll prevent all bad things from happening. No, Scripture is very clear. Hard times will come. They have come, and they're going to continue to come. Instead, we focus on the eternal. Here Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When John Quincy Adams was 80 years old, a friend said, how is John Quincy Adams? He replied, John Quincy Adams himself is very well, thank you. But the house he lives in is sadly dilapidated. 
It is tottering on its foundations. The walls are badly shattered and the roof is worn. The building trembles with every wind. And I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it before long. But he himself is very well. Friends, are you enjoying your resurrection life now? Have you found hope in Jesus as the resurrection and the life? If not, come to him. If you aren't sure what that looks like or you have questions, reach out to me. I'd love to sit down and talk with you about what this means. And if you have trusted in Jesus, are you really living this resurrection life now? Paul puts it in Romans 6, starting in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, no, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Brothers and sisters, in just a few moments, we're going to come to the table, celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In this meal, we remember Christ's death on our behalf, but we also celebrate his resurrection. You see, this meal reminds us of the ongoing benefits of the resurrection life that is ours in Jesus. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead pointed forward to a greater resurrection, his own. The tomb is empty. Praise the Lord. So as you close, we need to answer the same question that Jesus asked Martha at the end. Do you believe this? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. may not be the answer we expect. You're the resurrection of life. But she gets that Jesus must be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, in order to be the resurrection and the life. He must be the Son of God. Friends, we're three weeks away from Easter. Is your heart focused on Christ? Is he transforming you? I pray so. Praise him for being the resurrection and life. Praise him for the resurrection life that he has given through his Son. And renew your commitment to live a life of love in response to what he has done. Let us pray.